everyone. Doug Flutie here. This is the Flutie Flakes cast. And uh, to start off, I just want to talk about uh, primarily going to get to the Russell Wilson situation. This is normally a time of year where things are quiet, get past the Super Bowl, waiting for free agency to start, waiting for the draft. Uh, a lot of things up in the air as to whether quarterbacks are retiring or not, whether quarterbacks really want to be traded or not, and others demanding Deshaun Watson demanding be traded. So the Russell Wilson situation, Russell Wilson has not demanded a trade. He has not come out and said, I want to leave Seattle. Obviously, uh, there's been a lot of talk about rumblings there throughout the season, throughout the, especially the second half of the season. Uh, his agent did come out and say, well, if he were to be traded, these are the teams uh, he would be interested in or open to, the Raiders, the Bears, Dallas, and New Orleans. So when that comes out, you know there's been talk in their home camp as to whether or not uh, he wants out and wants to be traded. Uh, Russell Wilson came out last year and just lit it up early on. He throws a deep ball as well as anyone I've ever seen. Russell Wilson's deep ball is a high arcing ball that he drops in over the top. If you want to be accurate down the field, it's a lot easier if you throw a firm ball, a line drive to get it there in a hurry so you don't have to judge quite as far. Uh, you don't have to judge how far to lead him as, as badly. When you throw the high arcing ball, you leave it on your receiver to either speed up and go get it or slow down and box out the defender and keep it over the outside shoulder. So Russell, last year especially, was nailing everything down the field, just putting it up and uh, hits that downfield ball at a high percentage, throws it extremely well, and they became a play-action, hit-the-big-play type of offense. For some reason, things struggled the second half of the season, whether it was offensive line issues, whether it was offensive uh, philosophy, whether to run the ball more or whatnot. Things weren't happening in the second half of the year. There was a lot of discussion that maybe Russell Wilson didn't have as much input in the offense as he would like. And the rumblings from Seattle in the past it had always been whether or not Pete Carroll coddled Russell a little bit and protected him from his team. In other words, if he had a poor game, uh, he'd cover for Russell and push the onus elsewhere. Some of the players had comments uh, regarding that over the years. You have to have confidence in your quarterback. You have to be behind him 100%. You do protect him. Now, you have those one-on-one -on -one meetings with your quarterback, and you talk about things that are going wrong and, and continue to move forward. And, uh, but you don't necessarily do that in front of the team. Uh, so now throw it out there that Russell Wilson does want to get traded, that these are the options and these are the teams that potentially uh, he could be headed. Uh, you know, you look at the Raiders and the Bears. Uh, Raiders sitting at 8-8 eight eight last year with Derek Carr quarterback. Uh, a potential for a trade, maybe bring Carr back to Seattle. They got a lot of young players uh, in Las Vegas, and it's a situation where they could improve in a hurry, and Russell Wilson would make a huge difference with that team. Now, do you want to be in the same division as KC? Do you want to have to be playing Patrick Mahomes twice a year and battling that out? That would be an interesting situation. That would be a definite step up, but the Raiders may have to give up a little more than just Derek Carr to get Russell Wilson. You look at uh, the Dallas situation. Let's go over to Dallas and Dak Prescott. Dak is Dak 100%. They don't know if they want to go long-term with Dak Prescott. Would it be a franchise tag again, sitting around $40 million towards the cap? And again, I think Russell Wilson would be an upgrade, not much of an upgrade, but an upgrade definitely uh, than what they've been getting out of Dak. So there's an interesting potential situation. New Orleans, I think, would be a lot of fun to think about. New Orleans would be 
style of offense where Russell Wilson be slinging it around, spread him out, throw the football. Like I said, he is a downfield thrower, so he still brings big play potential. Definite shift for Russell Wilson. It would be a shift from a guy that's handing the ball off, play action, taking bombs, to maybe spread him out, looking a little more like what we've seen Drew Brees do, what we see Tom Brady do in the past of the – the nickel and diamond ball control passing game, which would be really interesting for New Orleans. But the other aspect of New Orleans, Drew Brees has not announced his retirement. Everyone was speculating, and he said that, you know, they're, they're, they're talking about retirement at the end of the season. Well, this week, there's video pops up of Drew Brees working out again on a sled, driving the sled, working his legs. I mean, Drew loves to work out. He's a workout nut. But, uh, you know, you're not showing those videos – or getting those videos out there if you're not thinking about st- still sticking around. Plus, the cap hit, New Orleans uh, has no cap space at all. And Drew actually has agreed to take a veteran minimum around a million dollars and to, to open up some space and, and to take care of that. So I don't see that happening. I don't see Russell heading to New Orleans. The biggest possibility does look like the Chicago Bears, I think. It's a situation where you've had uh, Nick Foles, who really, really struggled. Mitch Trubisky, who, who didn't do much. Maybe his numbers looked okay. Um, Russell Wilson going to Chicago would make a huge difference in this team. They got a great defense. It would be a shift. What happened in Tampa? It'd be a team that was really good on defense. That all they had to do was protect the ball on offense, and they'd had a chance to win. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, their quarterback's the guy giving them trouble. So Russell Wilson going to Chicago could make them a contender right away. Maybe they go head-to-head with uh, Green Bay in that division and uh, give them a fit. The problem there is what do you have to give up to get Russell Wilson in Chicago? It's not going to be a straight quarterback trade. Uh, Young players, guys that are probably a staple on their defense, are you going to lose somebody that that is a really important part of that offense or defense? And will they be able to continue on that path uh, and give up extra players? I don't know about that. But also – you know, with the offensive line in Chicago. I, I just, I think that's a good fit. I think it could work. Uh, as much as I'd love to see Russell Wilson maybe go to New Orleans because it'd be exciting for me to watch and I'd enjoy seeing him run a different style of offense. I think it makes more sense for him to go to the Bears. Now, all this being said, Russell Wilson is, has been treating this the right way. I think Deshaun Watson came out and demands a trade. Deshaun Watson comes out and is unhappy. Obviously, there's things going on down there that, um, you know, J.J. Watt getting out, agreeing to terms with Arizona, Deshaun looking to move, uh, that they go public. And that's the new way. With social media, it's very easy for players to have a platform to get their word, their message out there and put some pressure on organizations. In Russell Wilson's situation, he's allowing his agent to make subtle comments, maybe not so subtle, but with no definitive demand coming from the player. And I think that's the way it should be, and that's the way I was used to it happening. All this could be taken care of behind the scenes, whether it's through uh, your agent, through, through the front office, allow them to deal with it. Uh, you sit back, you know, you always should take that high road and say, you know, this is my team. Uh, we're going to win a Super Bowl next year. I'm staying here until, you know, the situation changes. This is my team. And, and that's the way it should be handled. And I don't think Russell Wilson will we'll ever come out and demand a trade. I think he'll sit back, allow it to go through his agent, let his agent decide what's going on. And then, then the best option presents itself. If Seattle were to agree with, with making this move and decide to, to move on from Ru- Russell Wilson, 
it will be done in a classy way. All that being said, I don't think Seattle wants to get rid of Russell. <laughs> I think Seattle wants Russell there. I think they want to make him happy. They're going to do whatever it takes. Uh, they've moved on from Brian Schottenheimer as the offensive coordinator, and hopefully uh, they can work things out and Russell stays put. If he does move, I think the move would be towards Chicago. Coming up in our podcast today, I have Joe Theismann, a guy that stood behind me early in my career, a guy that uh, you know said the height wouldn't be an issue for me because he was an undersized guy that also had to fight his way up through the ranks to get to the NFL. He spent some time in Canada as well, a couple of years with the Toronto Argonauts. So stick with us and we will be talking with Joe Theismann. Remember, you can get the Flutie Flakes cast on the SiriusXM app or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to rate and review. Hello, everyone. This is Bruce Murray, and I'd love you to join me on my podcast, Going Long, where every week we talk to the sports stars themselves, like NFL Hall of Famer Brett Favre. I was probably better at baseball than I was football. And the people that love them, like TV legend George Wendt. I thought about changing to be a Cup fan as a career move. And sports casting icon Linda Cohen. I never thought I'd still be doing it at this point in time. You can listen to Going Long every Thursday on the SiriusXM app and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, uh, Joe Theismann in. And Joe and I have been friends for a long, long time. And Joe, you were one of the guys that stood behind me when I first came into the NFL. And I always appreciate that. Joe's also got his new book out, How to Be a Champion Every Day, Six Timeless Keys to Success. So what's new, Joe? And uh, tell us a little bit about the book. Well, thanks, Doug. Hey, it's always great to catch up with you. And I've just, um, you're the one guy that I have followed from college and just um, admired everything you've done. Of course, we both spent our time in Canada. Uh, you won a few more Grey Cups than I did because I won none. Because you didn't have to stay there as long as I did. You got your tail back to the NFL quicker. You know, but what's, what's so unique, and, and this is the way I gauge great players. Um, if you can go from one team to another and make a difference in them, be a, you know, just look at all of Tom Brady. Um, If you have that kind of an impact on an organization and on a team, it really makes you something special. And Doug, I've always believed you're that way. And then you asked me about the book. I'll just touch on it real quick. Uh, It took about four years for me to really put it together. And I based it off the relationship between the world of sports, the world of business, and our own lives. It isn't a sports book. It's a business book with stories about the world of sports and how they relate to to each of those three categories. Talk about opportunities, talk about goals, talk about attitude, talk about teamwork, talk about motivation, and uh, different contributors have helped. For example, General Colin Powell uh, wrote some stuff for me on leadership, and I learned, I read it myself. I actually take the book at times and, and just sit down and go through it to remind myself of the things that I think are important, focus, leadership, teamwork, commitment, those are all things that I talk about in the book and uh, really caring about one another. And, and I think there's one word that has just escaped society too quickly, Doug, and that's respect. Respect for one another's opinion, respect for one another as people, respect for one another as individuals. Um, and that's something we really need to find a way to capture back is that respect for the things we love. And, and we, see, we, don't see the same, we don't see the things we saw in football uh, a while back either. You see guys, I think, even respecting one another more in, in that particular vein, which is great. The book is a, a, a really something I enjoy. I was happy to bring it, a tough time to bring it out, but more and more people are, are buying it. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it at bookstores. Um, and I also did an audio version, which, by the way, Doug, is the toughest thing I've ever done. 
to read the book in its entirety. It took me four days and another two days of correcting the things that I mispronounced and everything else. Reading in general, reading in general for me is a struggle. So I, I got, I got, you know, if, if I'm going to read, that's that's an effort. We got to set some time aside for this, and we're going to read. Take our time, right? Talk about your route to the NFL, right, Mr. Super Bowl champion? How'd you get going? I just, I well, I mean, you know, from the University of Notre Dame, I. I sat around and, and waited and waited and waited on draft day, not like we have today where you're in a green room and cameras all over the place. I sat in Roger Valdeseri's office and waited, and the first round went by, the second round went by, the third round went by. I told Roger, I'm not sitting here anymore. I'm going down and play basketball. So I was down, in, I was down at, uh, at the uh, rec center or convocation center at uh, Notre Dame, and I'm playing basketball. Roger ducks his head, and he said, you've been drafted. I said, um, who? He said, the Miami Dolphins. And I had heard from the Eagles. I had heard from the Cowboys. I'd heard from all these teams. The last team I ever expected to get drafted by was Miami. Miami drafted me in the fourth round. It was their third pick because that was the year that Shula had gone from Baltimore to Miami and they had to give up the number one. So I, was, I wound up being drafted in the fourth round, flew down to Miami, met with Mr. Robbie because Joe Thomas was their GM. He was having heart surgery. So I sat with Mr. Robbie. I walked in, sat in the office. He says, what do you want? You know, and, and you'll love these numbers. I said, I want 35, 45, $55,000 and a $35,000 bonus. He says, you got it. And I thought, no, that's not how negotiations work. We're supposed to have a little give and take back and forth. But hey, I was fine with it. And so I wound up, you know, I left Miami, did a press conference, come heck or high water, I'll be a Miami Dolphin, yada, yada, yada. I get back, and then all of a sudden, the Toronto Argonauts call me, and they'd been in touch with me, and Leo Cahill was the coach at the time, and he said, look, we really want you to be an Argonaut. And I said, I've already signed with Miami. He says, I know we, you know we don't have a conflict, but fly up here, and this is our offer, 50-50-50-50, $50,000 bonus, all U.S. money. And I flew up, and then I got to Canada, and they said, look, if you leave the country, this offer's off the table. I signed with the Argonauts, flew back to South Bend, I get a call at six o'clock in the morning from Eric Parsegian, who was my consultant, whom I never consulted. And uh, he said, what in heaven's name have you done? I said, I signed with the Argonauts. He said, I know, I just got off the phone with Shula and he's flying up here to South Bend now. And Don flew up and just ripped me a new one. But I said, hey, look, it wasn't that I just changed my mind. There was a clause in my contract. I'd broken down my bonus over three years. And they said, if you didn't show up for any of those three years, that the entire bonus would have to be given back. And I said, that's wrong. And, and they stood in that position for a long time, finally relented, but I got tired of the process. And I say this to any young person out there that's looking into professional football, let a professional negotiate for you. Until you get to a point where you can do some stuff you know, by yourself. Like I negotiated my last contract in the NFL by myself. And I made a mistake trying to do my first one by myself in the Canadian League. And so I, you know, I wound, up, uh, wound up in Toronto for three wonderful years. I would have never left. I'd have been like you, Doug, really, except that uh, John Barrow, who was a great Hamilton Tiger Cat, took over as general manager. Uh, Mr. Bassett, who owned the team, wanted to cut back on expenses. And so I wound up leaving. But I would have been very, very happy to stay in Canada at least for another three, four years, and who knows how long, because it was great ball. I mean, it really is great ball. I mean, people don't realize the quality of play it is. Plus, it's a quarterback's dream. That's the part of it I love. You know, spread them out, throw the football, stuff they're doing in the NFL now. Tell us some, uh, how about bad weather stories from, from CFL games? 
Oh, gosh. I mean, you know, the weather down here is nothing compared to what you get out there. Because you played in Calgary. You played in some of those places where, you know, it starts snowing in June and doesn't stop till forever, it seems like. But I remember, we, I think we played in Edmonton, uh, and it was just a cold, miserable day. And I didn't realize the end zones are 25 yards deep. But what happened is they had a, they had a fence at one end of the end zone, and it was like a yard away from the end zone. And it also was a dip, about a five-yard dip to the le- left-hand corner. And so you'd throw a pass, and all of a sudden, if your receiver was, if let's say he was six feet tall, now he's five, six. All of a sudden, he dipped down in a hole. But we played at the CNE up there, the Canadian National Exhibition Stadium, and the fans were crazy in 71, 72, 73. It was, it was terrific. It's where the new stadium is actually built right now in the parking lot. But um, it, it got so cold up there on days. I mean, especially when we went out west. You know, we'd go on a western swing. We'd play Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary. We'd be gone for 10 days. You know, I listen to guys complain a little bit in the National Football League about playing. Oh, man, we have to play on a Sunday. We got to play on a Thursday. Heck, we played, we played Sunday, Wednesday. No, we played Sunday, Thursday, Monday, like. And it was like, hey, we're playing football. Is it any better than this? We're doing what we did when we were kids. And that's sort of the way I looked at it. But the days were just, I mean, that's a bitter cold up there. Plus, in Toronto, you know, we were the northern part of the lake. So uh, if, it, if something came in from the north, it didn't really hit Buffalo until it went through Toronto, which made it really, really cold. But then, you know, we've had frozen fields. I mean, we had all kinds of different shoes, right? Didn't you use, like, um, uh, shoes they have in uh, curling? Well, that's what they, they – what do they call them? Broomball shoes. A lot of the guys talked about using, right? They, they were kind of had suction cups on the bottom. They were a little flatter. They were, well, my brother and uh, a guy named Jimmy Sandusky played in Edmonton, and we played a uh, just a nasty frost game with them. There was freezing, there's snow on the field and you couldn't get any traction. So my brother and Jimmy went and put, they wore seven studs and they, they took screws and put them in the bottom of the, the studs and cut those off. So they had a stud sticking out of the cleat and it cut through the ice. They were, they completed six passes the whole game. Four of them were for touchdowns on double moves, hitch and go slant and go. And they beat us in, in a snow game in Calgary. But also in Canada, they took a lot of pride in, like, they're back at exhibition grounds right, with the new stadium, but they have a beautiful dome stadium. They don't want to play there. It's like, a, it's like an attitude in Canada. Like, Montreal had the, had the big O, but there was no atmosphere. So they went back to McGill Stadium and had this little 4,000-seat stadium that they loved with trees growing out of the bleachers. But it's, it's kind of an attitude up there that they love the, the weather. It is just an attitude. It's a way that how, you know, are you going to get 50,000 fans to a CFL game in Toronto? You hope so. I mean, we had, I don't know what our number was, maybe 35, 40. I don't know what it was at the CNE, but you know, today it's a different, you have a lot of different things that appeal to people, uh, football, basketball, baseball, all those things are played in the city of Toronto now. So it was fun. Don't you believe that, that the same guys, the same qualities it takes to be successful on the field, those same qualities carry over to the business world. And I think that one thing athletes have is the ability to build relationships and get along with each other. Because your teammates, you, you live and die with your teammates. I mean, you would trust them beyond belief. And it's not always that you know more than someone else. We listen to each other. I, I just feel like all those qualities it takes to be successful on the field translate. I agree. And you don't need to be the smartest person in the room all the time. I get tired of sitting around listening to people tell me everything they know. Even if you know that, if you know something, give somebody else a chance to be able to express themselves. 
And, and like I say, you really coined why I wrote the book. It's based off my speeches, which I start with goals and attitudes and customer service and teamwork and motivation and opportunity. I'll give you an example. Take this Super Bowl. Kansas City had an opportunity to win two in a row. Tom Brady had an opportunity to get his seventh and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, Tom was the MVP of the Super Bowl, and rightfully so. But to me, the difference in that football game was the front five or four of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Patrick didn't stand a chance. I mean, he didn't really stay. He ran the entire football game. I know what it was like because that's the same exact experience I had in Super Bowl 18 against the Raiders. They'd thrown up a different concept where they started bringing an extra uh, safety from the outside. They were in a 3-4. They'd line this linebacker up outside, put the safety outside. Our count was off. So I had a free runner a lot of the times at me. And, and plus, I played a lousy football game on top of it. How about battling back from the disappointment of a Super Bowl like that? You know, what the mental part of the game and how, hell, I had a game, a playoff game in Calgary where we were the dominant team all year long. We had a snow game against Edmonton in the playoffs. I throw one bad interception and we wind up losing the game. I did not want to come out of the house for a month. And something that saved my tail was I had agreed to speak at an elementary school that week and I had to go do it. And I think I, I hid for about three or four days. And then I went there reluctantly thinking the world hated me. And, and you find out that the kids still were all excited to see it. Even the teachers had something good to say. And just getting back out there was really important for me. Um, what about the, the bouncing back? Yeah, at our position, we take it personal. It's not, it's not that the Washington football team lost a game. I lost a game. The way I played made a difference. You know, and, and I used to say this all the time. This was a saying I had in my locker. Um, and I'd I looked at it when I joined the Washington. At that time, we were the Redskins. When I joined the team, I had a little sign in my locker that said, you never need to be the reason a team wins. You just can't be the reason it loses. And that's both physical and mental play. And it's a constant reminder to me, it, more mentally than anything, is physically, guys that are at this level, they can do it. The mental part is, is can you play the game smart enough so that you don't hurt the team, that you give the other guys a chance to be able to make plays? You know, we're facilitators. Once the ball leaves my hand and headed for a receiver, that's up to him now. And so I hopefully made the right decision and you hope they catch it. And how many games boil down to kicks being made? I mean, Mark Mosley's the only kicker in the history of the NFL all these years that I believe is an MVP of the National, of the, of the National Football League. He did that in 82, the year we won the championship. So, you know, it's just, it is, it's amazing. But we do, you take it personally. It took me a, a while, but, you know, I guess maybe it started there in 1980, January of, of uh, 84 for me, where I, I really got to a point where I said to myself, I'm not going to be a rear view mirror guy. I'm going to look through the windshield. I want to see what's out there in front of me. And I want to work towards that goal instead of reflecting on what happened before. The only time I'll ever reflect on things that have gone and happened before is when I want to learn a lesson from them. You look back at your life. It's, it, it's in the book. I closed the book with a letter to my younger self, which is, I think, a great exercise for everybody to do. If you were going to write a letter to your younger self, what would you do? Take a pen in hand and a piece of paper and start writing that letter to your younger self. What would you tell that person? But it's really interesting as you try and explain to your younger self what the future is going to look like. 
and maybe some of the things that you should think about not doing that you did. Are you still doing the preseason games for the Washington football team or involved? I plan to hopefully this year. We'll see how, how things go uh, as far as being, are we going to have preseason games? I think we'll pretty much be back to full go uh, once the fall rolls around. Now you have three different companies that have put out vaccines. Um, and I think more and more people will get out. Hopefully more and more states will recognize that the opportunity to be socially interactive is very important to society. And I'm hoping that, um, I guess you could say, a sense of sanity returns as we go forward. But I think we'll have fans in the stands. I think we'll have preseason. And, and to be honest with you, this young class coming out, no matter what position you play, they're going to need the OTAs and the mini camps and the training camps to get ready for football. People don't realize last year there weren't any of those off-season training facilities. You know, guys were Zoom meetings, but you couldn't work out together. Then all of a sudden you had a limited training camp time, right? The uh, combines now, you know, they're, they're not having a, a true combine, so the evaluation process is going to be more difficult and all that. I brought up the, the preseason, and you're working on your boards to get ready for a game. People don't realize the prep that goes in, especially preseason game when there's so many names and so many guys. What's the quarterback situation? Uh, with Washington this year? Well, right now, I, they just released Alex Smith. Now, it was, it was I think, economic more than anything. Alex was due about $23 million plus. Um, heck, in 1984, Doug, I was a fourth highest paid player in the National Football League at a million dollars. So when you really look at the numbers, uh, and, I, and you know what? I think it's great. I, I'm just, I'm excited for anybody to get anything they can get. You work your tail off you get whatever you deserve. Sometimes, you know, people say, oh, you overpaid. Hey, if you got the money, you're not overpaid. Good for you. I'm good with Taylor Heineke coming in and, and having the job right from the get-go. Kyle Allen is still there. He's recovering from injury. Um, I think they'll probably wind up taking someone in the draft or making a deal for someone. But I don't think you should give up too much if you're the Washington football team. I certainly wouldn't give up that first-round pick. Our first-round picks over the last three years in particular have been unbelievable. You have Montez Sweat. You've got um, Deron Payne, Chase Young, Rookie of the Year this year. Uh, they've been – you know, they're all number first-round picks. And uh, Jonathan Allen was another one. And Ryan Kerrigan, oddly enough, was a first-round pick. It's good. So there's five of them that were first-round picks. I think it's been used very well. We need help on the offensive side a bit. Uh, you need some depth at tight end. You need, you know, another receiver possibly. Maybe you get that through the, the trade. Um, there's lots of great running backs in this draft. I think wherever Najee Harris winds up going out of Alabama is going to help that football team. You may be looking at the second coming of a, of a Derrick Henry with that kind of power, that kind of speed. Um, to be able to make a difference in a game. And as much as we love to throw the football, Doug, and you know this, you still have to have the ability to run the ball to be able to really consistently control games, especially in bad weather. You know, places like Pittsburgh, Cleveland, outdoor stadiums, New England. You have to be able to run the football at some point. You just can't drop back and throw it all the time. How about the job Heineke did when he stepped in? Did you see that coming? I didn't really know anything about him, so no. But uh, every every snap he took, every play he uh, executed, I, I grew more and more in admiration of him. I mean, what, December 8th, I believe, he joined the team. And just that limited action he had in, in the last game, and then all of a sudden now you're playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in a playoff game. Taking the hit he took and, and being hurt the way he was and then coming back and playing – no way I thought he was going to be able to go back on that football field. Just the, the mental toughness that he had 
was exciting for me. And then I think he throws the ball very well. And fortunately, he's been in this system. So he was in Minnesota with Norv Turner. Scott Turner is the offensive coordinator, Norv's son in Washington, and was the same thing in Carolina. And you can't beat familiarity with a system. It's easier for a coach to talk to you as opposed to try and explain it to somebody who's never been in it. You know, I think he's the guy you start with now. But Ron Rivera made an interesting comment a couple of months ago regarding every position on the Washington football team. He said, I made a mistake by just anointing basically Dwayne the starter. And I, I should have left the position open to competition. Now, in his defense, because of the way things occurred for us in 2020 as a nation as well as a sports organization – any football team, is you didn't have a chance to have competition to any degree. You had, like I say, no off-season training, no mini camps. At the training camp, you're getting ready to play a football game. So you basically had to pick somebody to start to be able to get the work you needed to institute the system. You're putting in new systems for everybody, new head coach, new coordinator. And so, I, you know, I know he said that he wants everybody to compete, and he will. But I think he was up against it trying to figure out what to do last year. And he made the best choice he could. You know, I, I talk all the time about Tom Brady going to Tampa in the first year of an offense. I was, I've always been jealous. I bounced around my whole career. And I was always jealous of the guy that could stay in one offense, just continue to build on it throughout his career, get better and better and better. And then Tom jumps to Tampa and does it in one year. And all these guys out there right now talking about, I want to, you know, Deshaun, Watson wants to leave and Russell Wilson, you know, all of them, right. Talking about move. You be careful what you ask for because first year in a new offense is not easy. Take a look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and it, Doug, you make a great point up until the buy, they didn't know who they were offensively. It was a combination of Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich's offense and what Tom Brady knew and was able to do. They tried to throw the ball down the field. That didn't work out that well. Uh, they, they got good protection for Tom, but he still got a, f- a bit more pressure. He threw a few more interceptions than we normally see Tom throw. And then all of a sudden, the bye week comes along. They spend that entire two-week period sort of working on refining what fits into the personnel they have, and they don't lose a game. They go right along. But, and, and see, when Tom went to Tampa, I saw the same thing when Peyton went to Denver. They bring a sense of accountability to everybody in the building. I mean, every, I'm talking front office, coaches, other players, because of their work ethic and who they've been and, and what they've been able to accomplish. Uh, there's instant respect for what they do. And they, they hold people accountable. You know, Tom can say something to somebody. He has the right to do that. And, uh, you know, he didn't hold back. He doesn't criticize. And, and one of the most admirable qualities he has is to deflect all of this attention on someone else. After the NFC Championship game, they kept asking him questions at the mic. After three of them, he says, hey, look, there's a lot of great guys here that have great answers. Bring some more up. So he brought Bruce up and, and the players. Same thing after the Super Bowl. They asked him, was this, was this one the sweetest of all? He said, everyone's sweet. I guarantee you part of the motivation for Tom Brady in, super, in this Super Bowl 55 was he wanted the other guys on that team to feel what he's been able to feel. And to me, that's great leadership. You don't want the attention. You want other people to get the attention. We get it at this position anyway. Like it or not, you're going to get all the headlines, negative or positive. They're all going to focus on the quarterback position. 
but he makes everybody inclusive. And I think that's great. Somebody I'm going to spend time with and I really want to give a call to is Byron Leftwich because I just want to pick his brain and find out what he was able to learn over this period of time with Tom and probably next year as well. I'm, you know, Tom's excited about next year. And, and I'll tell you something, Gronk looked like the old Gronk. By the end of the year, he was everything that everybody thought he was and could be. And he made a difference as he usually does. I just got back from a tournament over in Fort Myers. I spent four or five days over in Fort Myers playing old man baseball in an over 40 bracket. And uh, I pitched two, two games. Did you win them? I lost one of them. I threw too many fastballs. These guys can hit. Um, I get back. It's the Advil tournament, right? So you're just pounding, just whatever. <laughs> ben Gay, Advil, you know, and then you get off it the next day. And I feel like I got run over by a truck. I just like the, the last 24 hours been sitting around. You know what I love about you? You, you know, I, and I say this to everybody, let the 12 year old child in you just live. And, and, and that's what you are. There you are. I'm wearing a damn bat, Batman shirt. I got Batman and Robin over my shoulders. But the other thing is too, is you surf, you play baseball, you have the band, you do television. You know, you are one of my best friends and I admire what you do so much. I enjoy what you do so much. And to a degree, I get to live a little bit vicariously through your life because my arm is shot. If I have to throw a ball five yards, then, you know, it, it, that's about the limit for me, about three throws. But uh, and, and physically, I can't do the things that I love to do. But I'll read about you in a tournament or I'll, I'll see you on the golf course or I'll, I'll hear about the band. And, you know, I know you play basketball, too. And it's like, go get them, Doug. Keep going, man. You're, you're doing it for more than just yourself. <laughs> We're over there at the baseball tournament and the guys on the team, the guy that plays guitar in my band is playing baseball with me as well. And all the guys are like, you guys, you guys got to go find a live band, blah, 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 blah. So one of the local guys knew a band that was playing. The idea was we were going to go over, sit in for a couple of songs. Well, we get there and the band's drummer was sick, not COVID, but just sick. And they could not find a replacement for him. So I wound up sitting in and playing the whole night with him. And the other, and my guitarist jumps, my guitarist is my security blanket because he's a real musician. All right. And he'll carry things through. So we had a blast. We just jump up and we start playing. That's just the way it is. It's amazing. So I guess the next time we'll see each other is hopefully out in Tahoe again. I hope so. Um, I will have new shiny golf clubs. I, I can't wait to see you hit them. You're going to spend two days with me on the range so that I can actually bogey a hole rather than tripling every <laughs> hole. So, hey, no, I will. This, this is my thing about Tahoe. This is the thing about uh, Tahoe. I hit a beautiful drive and I hit the green from 250 yards out and I'm putting for Eagle and it's not a done deal that I'm going to get par. I know. You know, I know. It's, it's like the hardest part of the rolled game. It, I sunk an eight foot putt on that green for par. It's going to be interesting. I think I've improved. I've got better equipment. I'm going to get there. We're going to go after it. If I can break the, what's the name of the Stapleford? Is that the Stapleford? It's system? a Stapleford system. Actually, it's a modified Stapleford system. Yes. Where, okay. where you so get, I got to be in the, the positive numbers. Right. That's what you're shooting for. I got to tell you too, that uh, Jonathan Thomas and the people at American Century do a fabulous job. I've played, I think there've been 30, 30 or 31 tournaments out there in town. I've played in 29 of them. So there's only been a couple of years that I've missed every athlete, actor, singer, they all point towards that particular tournament as being one that is so special. The entertainment, the camaraderie, the sharing of stories, really getting to know one another. It's like a giant Pro Bowl of entire, uh, entire parts of society, music, 
of theater, acting, athletics, everybody comes together and you really find out that they're just a lot of great people. And I love to ask people why they're great. The fun part of me, for me being out in Tahoe is, I mean, there's Justin Timberlake, you got Steph Curry, you got all these guys. Oh, yeah. You go to the practice green and there's Steph. He's got all the toys, right? He's got the line <laughs> thing lined up for his putting stroke and he's got the thing. Well, I, I go back to Tin Cup when he's when he's shanking him on the range and he's got the thing hanging yeah. off a hat and a thing around his arm and a contraption. That's that every day he's out there with some new contraption trying to get better at golf to primarily beat his dad. Now, Dell can still yeah. play too. I played I played with Dell and I, I I lost miserably to him. So yeah, I know exactly what <laughs> okay, you mean. Okay, so yeah, the Curry's the Curry's can play. Let me Steph tell you. Steph is better than Dell. Dell beat you. Your leaps and bounds ahead of me. Where does that put me? You know what? You know what, Doug? It put it it puts you in the game. That's all that matters. All I know is every year on Sunday, I have birdied 17 in front of the gallery. Have you every really? year? Uh, the the whole on the beach, all you know, all the boats pull up. There are very few people who can say that. Very, very Every few. Every year on so Sunday. As usual, you're an elite individual again. <laughs> yeah, as see, that's my game. I'm the happy, happy Gilmore of golf because we got the basketball shoot off the tee box while we're buying time for them to put out. We got music playing. You got the people on the beach coming up. You got all the boats honking and all. So I need a little noise, little crowd noise to get me rolling. Look, look at what we did for a living, for goodness sakes. We performed in front of thousands and thousands of people. When it's quiet, it just doesn't serve and us And they had well. to deal with that all year this year, stepping in a stadium yeah. without crowd noise. That's nuts. I know. Anyway, nuts. thanks so much, Joe. Appreciate you taking the time with me and hanging out. Always great hanging out with you, buddy. Take care of yourself. Good luck with all the podcasts, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Hey, everybody, this is Fran Frischella, host of the podcast World of Basketball. The game of basketball has truly become a global game. Markovic fires it into Mickey, and somehow it goes in. Each week, I talk with the players, coaches, and executives who have led the way in growing the game of basketball around the world. Real Madrid have stolen victory from the jaws of defeat. Episodes are available every Thursday on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, and Apple Podcasts. That was Joe Theismann. Joe and I, uh, we go back a long way. And, and I, I really treasure the time we spend out in Tahoe. We usually meet up every morning at the uh, coffee shop. And we're sitting talking, whether it's football, whether it's that day, whether it's golf, whether it, whatever it is. Uh, he's usually got his boards out because he's preparing for preseason games around that time period. But um, that event out in Tahoe, as we were talking about, is a great week of all the former players, current players, everybody coming together and just enjoying being around each other and getting to know each other off the field. So uh, I really appreciate Joe um, helping me out, coming on the podcast and also promoting his book. Uh, let's get to some Twitter questions. Uh, the number one, right off the top, how tough was it mentoring a QB like Drew Brees in San Diego? And you know, I really didn't look at it as mentoring. I related to Drew right away. He seemed enthusiastic, uh, a type of kid that I was at 22 years old and seeing him, it was easy. Drew took everything in. He and I met up later after he'd gone to many Pro Bowls and we were just talking. He talks about some of the subtle little things he learned from me and I didn't even realize it, but you know, the way he holds his hands under center, the way he takes his steps, whatever he's doing. The one thing that I think I brought to Drew was I encouraged him to have an input in the offense. 
that uh, when Drew was playing, uh, he struggled for a little while. And I went in and I right away went with a list of my favorite plays to the coordinator. And this is what I want to run when I'm in there and all that. And I think that's the one aspect that maybe I brought to him was he realized he's got to have an input because there's no rocket science to it. Okay. The bottom line is you want plays called that you are comfortable with when you step out on the field and put yourself in a position to be successful. And I think Drew really took that. He started meeting with offensive linemen during the weeknights and he took it to a whole nother level and did 10 times what I did in the NFL and continued to just take it and grow. I loved watching Drew play his entire career. What was more exciting for me personally, the Hail Mary to Gerard Phelan back at BC or the drop kick extra point in New England. I look at these two plays as bookend moments in my career where the Hail Mary was the end of my college career, the beginning of my professional career, and the very last play of my career was the drop kick. So they were exciting for different reasons, but there's no doubt that the Hail Mary was more exciting of a play. Uh, It meant a lot more to me in the moment. It was a huge win. It was a last second heroic moment, all this stuff that went on, you know, where you can't anticipate it happening. And just one of the greatest football games ever played. If that play had not happened, that game was still a legendary game that would have been shown over and over on ESPN Classic. But because of that play, it just made it over the top ridiculous. The drop kick was fun. The drop kick was something I did right at the end of my career. It was a fun moment, but we were still down by a touchdown with five minutes to go in a game. And it was kind of meaningless, actually. So for the meaning of it wasn't that important. So I was just thankful the ball went through the uprights because if I missed it, it's the last play of my career and my wife is going to have to deal with me the rest of her life. In fact, she's up in the stands with family, friends, everybody around her. And, uh, you know, a lot of just generic fans that are right there in that little section. And the second I walk out on the field, she knows what's going on. She, she knew we had practiced the drop kick. She's trying to explain to these people that they're all, like, oh, why are we going for two? We're down by eight. We should kick the extra point, cut it to seven, blah, 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 blah. She goes, no, 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 we're not going for two. He's drop kicking. What? What the heck are you talking about? A drop kick. What's a drop kick? I don't know. So she's in this argument with the people in the stands, and she's a nervous wreck because she knows what I'm about to try to do. She's trying to explain it. And actually, my sister-in-law was at home. And she was by herself and she knew what was going on, but she didn't have anybody in the room to tell. She was all excited to tell somebody and there was no one around her. So my wife is the opposite, trying to explain to these people exactly what's going on. They didn't believe her. All of a sudden I shift back and do an 11 yard, 12 yard shotgun and do the drop kick. And uh, they couldn't believe that she actually knew what was going on ahead of time. Well, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Flutie Flakes cast. Thanks for joining me and listening in. And remember, you can get the Flutie Flakes cast on the SiriusXM app or wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you rate and review. I'm Doug Flutie. Thanks for listening. SiriusXM Podcasts.